You may be surprised to hear me say that we live in a world that has been designed with order. Our God is a God of order. And even though you and I will look around and see chaos, has anybody observed any chaos recently in the world? Chaos. God has given a plan for us to go on in this world and has given us specifically as Christians a way that we are supposed to act in His place of order. There are three institutions that God gives us very, very clearly in the Scriptures. We're going to talk about one of those today, but let me talk about the first one mentioned in the Bible. When we back up to Genesis chapter 2, we find the institution of marriage. God has given us marriage. It was His idea. And there is an order in marriage that He has given us to follow. When we fast forward to the New Testament... We find the most recent of these institutions in Acts chapter 2, and that's when God instituted or gave us the system of the local church. And He has given us some details of what we're supposed to do, how we conduct ourselves within a local church. And right in the middle of those two is another institution that we're going to talk about today. God, who is a God of order, has given us for our time here in this world, a way to live while submitting ourselves under the governing authorities that are over us. What's beautiful about these three specific topics that I've mentioned is it does not matter what day you live in. It does not matter what place you live in. God has given specific details for us to follow. He's given us instruction to hold on to. And today what we'll see in God's Word is how the Christian is supposed to respond to the government. If you're a follower of Christ today, very specifically, you need to be a person of the book. And you need to know what the book says for you. Very specifically, what we'll see is that we as Christians are to uphold the government. The details that we'll see are we're supposed to uphold the government of what we live in by obeying them by paying our taxes, and by respecting them. I'm not sure which of those is the hardest one for you. But that's very clear what we find in God's Word. Now, let me mention this. We are not going to get into some of the details of your worldview. Every believer needs to figure out what his worldview is. What that means is there are certain opinions you're going to have, certain things you're going to support that come from God's Word that relate to the world you live in. We're not going to talk about that from Romans 13 today because that's not what Romans 13 is about. So we're not going to talk about abortion. We're not going to talk about family values. We're not going to talk about capitalism. We're not going to talk about communism. All of these things that I just mentioned, you need to know what you believe about them. And those beliefs must come from God's Word. You need to be a person of the book. And everything that you're going to believe about any of those or the hundreds of other topics that get highlighted in politics and government in our day, they need to rest upon a sure foundation. Our foundation for our salvation is based in Jesus Christ. And God tells us 
in our text today what we're supposed to do as a foundation for all of these other things that we believe. I'm happy to uh, have a conversation with you on the phone or in person about details of all the other specifics of how you feel or what you think and what the Bible says, but we're going to stick exactly to what Romans chapter 13 says today. And just to be clear, I don't think this sermon will look any different today than it would have looked five years ago. And there's a great comfort that comes from the fact that we have God's Word to direct us and to guide us. Do not be fooled by the division markers that we find by chapters and verses. They're super helpful. I've already referenced the word 13, Romans chapter 13, a couple times. But having said that, we know that in the inspired Scriptures, they did not have those divisions. So when you see the the number 13, don't think we're separating ourselves from chapter 12. In fact, I would recommend to you that you need to go back to chapter 12 and verse 1, where it talks about your spiritual worship. What God gives us with man's relationship to the government over him, this is part of your worship. Also, when we, when we looked at the end of chapter 12, it just it flows very specifically and very well into chapter 13. If you remember from last time in our study, we talked about how man deals with his enemies. Do you remember that? I know some of you don't like to think you have any enemies. And when we talked through that, we talked about how I and you as followers of Christ deal with our enemies, how we speak well of them, we try to understand their thoughts, we try to make them a friend as much as it is within you to do those things. And then if none of that works, we are not to get revenge. We said from what Paul writes about God and his plan, God said, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. (laughs) Does anybody have a problem with that? Do, Do you look at responding in a kind and patient way with your enemies and you respond that way and it doesn't seem like they get what's due to them? We don't see God sending lightning bolts down to punish evildoers. And yet he says he's a God of order and he will make things right. And then we come to Romans 13, where very specifically on the tail end of saying God will make uh, things right, he very clearly gives us some details about no matter what place we live in and no matter what day we live in, but how we can have a great confidence in him and specifically what we can do to support his plan. So, What I see first here in chapter 13 of Romans 13 is a question. We're going to answer two questions today. The first question is, how are Christians to respond to their government? The second question is, why? Why do we do that? I think Paul is patient with us to give us the why answer. Kind of sounds like a five-year-old, doesn't it? Why? Why do I have to do that? You're going to get get the what you have to do right here. And the first thing that I see that we have to do with our governing authorities is we obey them. We obey the authorities that have been placed over us wherever we're at. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, 
and those that exist have been instituted by God. So like them or not, they have been put in place by God. You need to understand what I'm saying here. I'm saying that God ordained that person in that position of leadership. He's been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. I am not saying that God ordains the specific structure. Okay? So from Romans 13 here, you can't say, well, what's God saying about communism? Or what's God saying about democracy? He's giving us something that's, that's even better because it's deeper than that. He's giving a foundation for followers of Jesus Christ to apply in any structure. So he's not saying yay or nay here to a structure. Also, God condones the leaders, but God does not condone their specific decisions and moves. They are not robots, and God does not condone all the decisions and policies that they hold. And some of you say, yeah, I knew that already. Pretty obvious. But he does put those in positions of leadership in their place. And so first of all, we obey them. And if any of you thought it couldn't get any worse, the next thing that we do is we pay our taxes. How many of you would not have come today if you would have known I was going to say, pay your taxes? I'm only saying it because I promise you, if it wasn't in the Bible, I would not be saying it. But God has told us that. The Apostle Paul tells us that. Look, skip down to verse number 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. I need to speak very bluntly and tell you, if you have a problem with this, you need to understand that Jesus did not have a problem with this. Most of our illustrations today are going to come straight from the Scriptures. And the majority of them are going to come from the life of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was having an impact in the world around Him, and the religious leaders hated Him, they wanted Him out of the picture. They did everything they could to knock Him down, and they could not do it. He was God. He had a plan. He was also always the smartest guy in the room. And, Jesus, and they thought they had a plan one day to take Jesus down where they said, we've got it. We know what we'll do. And they sent some sneaky people in to ask a question they, that, that they thought would have one of two effects. Either it's going to get him in trouble with the government so that we can get him arrested, or else it's going to get all these people who are following him to stop following him. Some of you know the instance I'm talking about. It is when these people came and they asked Jesus the question, is it right for us to pay taxes? Now, if you could go back in time and change anything about the story, wouldn't you go back and have Jesus say, no, no taxes? And I'm glad you're not in charge, and I'm glad I'm not in charge. Jesus Christ gives the most beautiful answer to that question. He says, show me a denarius. Whose picture is on the denarius? And they said, Caesar. And at that point, Jesus says, render unto Caesars the things that are Caesars, 
and render unto God the things that are God's. Jesus paid his taxes. There's another story of Jesus paying his taxes, and I I only mention it because it's one of my favorite miracles that we find of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And it's when Jesus Christ was, uh, he entered Capernaum. Some of us, us have been to Capernaum, that wonderful city. And there were some tax collectors that met he and his disciples right when he got there. I mean, no time to even, you know, rest. And they said, does your master pay his tax? And at that point, Jesus calls Peter over. He talks to Peter and he says, we're going to pay our tax. And he says, I want you to go out, take a line, take a hook. I want you to catch a fish here in the Sea of Galilee, very, very close, the Sea of Galilee. And when you pull that fish out, open the mouth, and in the mouth of that fish, you're going to find a coin, and it's going to pay for my tax and for your tax. Now, could it be that some of you wouldn't have so bad of an attitude about taxes if possibly you could pay your taxes by finding money miraculously like that? Sure, no problem. If God's going to give me money miraculously, I'll give it to Him. But He doesn't do that for us. He tells us to pay our taxes. He says that those who are in those positions are ministers twice. He says the governing authorities are ministers here. That word is a similar word that we find in the church structure that comes from the word diakonos. Does that sound familiar? Diakonos? Deacon. They are God's servants put in place. And he says here, pay your taxes. Jesus paid his taxes. And I know, oh, by the way, when we come to the end of our message, I'm going to tell you when you can rebel. Oh, I got some of your attention now, don't I? I'm going to tell you when you can rebel against this structure, when it's okay to do that. But before we move on to the next point, we talked about Jesus paying his taxes. I need to also mention that when this letter was written, the Apostle Paul understood that when he paid his taxes, what that money would go for. Do you know what Paul's tax dollars paid for? That he says you continue to pay your taxes? It went to pay for pagan worship. That's what his tax dollars would help fund. Also, at the time of the Apostle Paul, there were Christians being persecuted. His tax dollars would pay for soldiers to kill Christians. And then that worst leader that I can think of, Nero, Caesar Nero, would take those Christians, would impale them on a pole, would cover their body with something flammable, and would burn them to light his gardens at night. Paul says, I'm going to pay my tax still. It's helpful for us when we start to say, well, I'm going to pay some of my tax, but not all of my tax. All right, let's get away from taxes. Oh, but I'm not sure if this is any easier. The last one that we find, here's what you are commanded to do with the leaders over you. You are to respect them. Look at verse, the second half of verse 7. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And I could not help but wonder if I made a mistake this past week. I was clearly studying through this section. We must know when we have crossed the line from going from disagreeing to disrespecting. 
You need to know when that is. And you need to work to not cross that line. To not disrespect the governing authorities. I was talking with my daughter this past week about something and I I felt passionate about it. And as I was saying something, I caught myself being very familiar with Romans 13. And I said, oh, I think I may have crossed the line from going into disagreeing into disrespecting. God's word clearly says, obey them, pay your taxes, and respect them. And then he gives us the answer to the question, why? Why do we do these things? Why obey? Why pay your taxes? Why show them respect? Well, the first reason is to avoid punishment. And all God's people said, duh, to avoid punishment. If you break the law, there's a consequence. Look at verse number two with me. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the evil doer. For those of you who are note takers and you're looking for a little bit more detail, let me give you two specifics as I can see it in God's word of what he wants government to be doing. Specifically, God wants government to be punishing evildoers. He has given us government to restrain evil. And the other reason why He's given government that we see here is to reward good behavior. If any of you have wished to live in a place where there were no laws and there was no government, I need to tell you that that would be a horrible wish to come true. The chaos that would be all around us if there were not police and governors and presidents, if there was not an order, as God has planned there to be an order, we would be in misery. People would not be able to stop the violence and stop the stealing and stop even the hate. Primarily, God has given the government two tasks, to reward good behavior and to punish evil behavior. Now, some of you are tying that into what we see today. Perhaps it's fair to say that the government has reached a little bit further today than just rewarding good behavior and punishing evil. They might have a few more regulations than that that are going on. And I understand that. And that's where we get into a struggle. First of all, we do this to avoid punishment. The second reason is to have a clear conscience. The Bible repeatedly speaks about we need to have a clear conscience. Look at verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And so you don't have to be afraid of the police unless you're doing something wrong. You should not think of the IRS as the enemy unless you're doing something wrong. You should not be afraid of your city or your county inspector 
when they come around, unless you're doing something wrong. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be model citizens. God has told us how to do that, and He wants us to have a clean conscience. And I understand that there are people who are wicked, evil doers, or people that continue in sin, and they sleep like a baby at night. But as you follow Jesus Christ, and to Him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to Him it is sin, you are accountable now for Romans chapter 13, unless you've been sleeping this whole time. We need to have a clear conscience. And then the last reason why is because God has commanded it. We saw it in the second half of the first verse. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God put them there. We're going to talk about Jesus again, and it's an incredible story with a great lesson that applies right to what we look at today. Jesus Christ is having an encounter with Pontius Pilate. And they went back and forth a few times. And Pontius Pilate has a change in his demeanor at one point. And the change in his demeanor came when he went out before the mob and he heard two words that the mob was shouting. And when Pilate heard those words, he understood that this is very, very serious, and he he needed to find out some more information from Jesus Christ. Do you know what the two words there were, what the mob was shouting? They were shouting, crucify him. Pilate goes in, talks to Jesus. Who are you? What have you done? Why do they want you dead? Pilate asked Jesus the questions, and at that point, Jesus is silent. He doesn't speak a word. And then Pilate asks him a question and gives us a lesson. In Luke 19, Pilate says, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Can you understand the gravity of that? God the Son leaves his home in heaven, takes on a human body, lives in this world that would beat him and mock him, And God the Son submits Himself under the authority of Pontius Pilate. Not just of Pontius Pilate, of the one who would order His death. And in the account, it is no mistake that God recorded for us that Jesus says, You would have no authority over Me unless it had been given you from above. When we look at family, when we look at marriage, when we look at the church, when we look at government... God has a plan for submission to be a part of all of these. I don't want to put the word submission as the title for my sermon and put it on the front sign. Nobody would come in to hear the sermon if we were preaching on submission. In our day, when you think of submission, many people equate it with losing. Tap out. I submit. 
God lets us know in His order all of the places where He has given us to have order, and specifically here with government, we are to submit. All right, when do we get to rebel? When do we get to say no? There's just something within us that loves finding that out. I can see some of you sharpening your pencils out there. When do we get to rebel? Well, it's very clear, and it's not very long. I want to remind you again of who was in control when Paul penned this, who was the governing authority that God ordained be there. It was Nero, wicked Caesar Nero. And Paul still paid his taxes. They would have been jealous of our governmental system, our benevolent governmental system compared to theirs. It is okay for a Christian to rebel and act in civil disobedience to the government if that government commands evil. Specifically, when you are required to act in a way that is contrary to the clear teachings of God's Word, then you disobey. I recognize this is an opportunity for all kinds of conversations. At what point are we talking about being against God's Word? My counsel to you is it needs to be very, very clear. It needs to be obvious that you are specifically being told, do something you're not supposed to do or don't do something that you're supposed to do. It needs to be obvious Oftentimes, when we come to applications, I'll say, good men disagree about this. If it's you and good men and a whole lot of people disagree on it, that is not a good green light for you to disobey the civil government and then take your chances if you get caught or not. We have a couple Bible examples. I'll share them with you. In Exodus, when the Hebrew people were getting so big... And Pharaoh saw it, saw their numbers getting bigger, and Pharaoh was nervous about his Egyptians, nervous that if somebody came to attack, those Hebrew slaves might join the other side. And so Pharaoh gets a plan to reduce the size of the Hebrews. Do you remember what he did? He gave a command, a law, to the midwives that when there was a baby born, they go and they kill that baby. Murder the baby when it's born. And when that came, the midwives disobeyed the law. They were being told to do something that was clearly contrary to what God wants us to do. And we don't have a whole lot of time to go into the details, but God blessed them even though they lied to Pharaoh. They lied to him. They said, well, we can't quite get there in time. They give birth awful fast. And God blessed them because of that disobedience. Let me give you one more example in Daniel chapter 6 of Daniel being commanded not to pray. You may not pray it was a law, no other God, only the king. And he did not change anything that he did. As I've gone over that story, I've thought to myself, couldn't he have just kept his doors closed for a few days and prayed? God still hears it. But he did not change anything that he did because a law was made that was contrary to what God specifically told him to do. God said, you must pray, and he continued to pray, and God blessed it, and God, dave, God saved Daniel from the lions. When it comes to this idea of disobeying, rebelling against the laws that are over us, 
I've got good Bible examples, but I also have one example from somebody in our church here. Who is it, you're wondering? We have one of our leaders here in the church who has spent an extensive amount of time in China. China does not have the same kind of freedom that we have when it comes to religion. And so I called up this person and I talked to him about his time in China and specifically how this applies. Questions that I asked were like, do they force you to do anything that God has told you not to do? Or are they telling you you can't do something that God has commanded you to do? And in the course of the conversation, we came up with one example. In China today, from what he told me, there's one thing that God has commanded us to do that they're not allowed to do. I'm going to give you a big word for it. It's proselytizing. The more familiar word is evangelism. You are not allowed to go and preach Jesus Christ and try to convert people who are not followers of Christ to become Christians. It's against the law. It is forbidden. Citizens can go to jail for it or even lose their lives. Non-citizens can get kicked out of the country. We have an example of that. God beautifully gives us a New Testament example of someone who disobeys, who rebels. And it's for that exact reason. Some of you might remember when the church began, we have Peter and John as two clear leaders in the church. Peter and John were working to grow the church. They were preaching Jesus Christ. And the religious leaders hated it. People were joining this church of Jesus Christ left and right. And so they brought Peter and John in and they said, no more of this. You no longer may preach Jesus Christ. And they left that place and guess what they did? They preached Christ. They didn't look this way and look this way and whisper it. They boldly preached Christ because that is what Jesus said we must do. And the religious leaders called them back in after this. Oh, they were hot. They were angry. And they told Peter and John, we told you guys not to do this. What is going on? That's my version of it. And when in Acts chapter 4, verse 19 They respond, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. There is a time to rebel. That time will be obvious. It's not really something debatable. Besides that, we obey. We pay our taxes. We respect them because of the position that God has put them in. That is the what. The why is also clear, to avoid punishment so that you and I can stand before God someday with a clear conscience and sleep at night today doing our best to have a clear conscience. And most of all, because God told you to. It's obedience to God when we follow this command. You honor God's authority when you honor your governing authorities. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we praise you that you are a God of order. Our minds could not 
stretch out far enough to imagine a world without order. I praise you for the order in the family. I praise you for the order in the church. And I praise you that you have brought leaders to be in governing places over us. I thank you that they are your ministers to punish evildoers, to reward good. And we thank you specifically, Lord, for the place where you have put us and the time where you have put us. We ask, God, you'd help us to be responsible. Help us to know what we can do. Help us to know our biblical worldview and what we feel about so many issues. But may we build all of those on this foundation, the foundation of the orderly structure that you have in place. And we thank you, God, that those that are in the place of leadership are there for a reason. And we might scratch our heads sometimes. Other times we might stand up and shout and rejoice. But we thank you that you know the beginning and you know the end. Help us, Father, to walk, yes, somewhat by sight, but also very much in times like this by faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as the piano plays through, I want to give you a chance to pray. It might be something we talked about in the message today that you want to pray about. I'd invite you to do that. Maybe you're here today and you're not one that follows the book of Romans or God's teaching because you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. And he conquered death so that we could have eternity in heaven. And even during this time, you can ask God to forgive you forgive you of your sins and make you his child. And he promises to do so. Take a moment. Pray.